Our, our text uh, this morning is from Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 21. And um, before I read the text, uh, I, I need to tell you that this is actually the second time today I'm preaching this particular message. And it's not because I got up and practiced in a mirror what to say and, and how to say it, uh, but rather uh, I created a problem for myself. Uh, I can't blame anybody else. I did it. And I was so distraught and tense that I just couldn't sleep. And I woke up at uh, 2, somewhere between 2 and 2.30, crept out of bed so Dana wouldn't ask me what's wrong because I wasn't able to articulate it. And I went into the living room and, uh, and I just started uh, pouring my heart out to God about the problem that I have created that didn't have any seeming solution. And I asked God, what am I going to do about this? Uh, and uh, he said to me, preach the message to yourself. And uh, so I, I got up and uh, my Bible was nearby and I went through the text that we're about to read for about an hour. And uh, after preaching the text to myself, for that hour because I didn't feel if I could have called Dick and said look I, I really need somebody else to handle the message this morning I would have done that but at 2.30 in the morning you can't really call your pastor and make that request so I, I preached the message uh, to myself this morning about uh, the love of Christ in the face of a deep failure. So let's read together uh, this, or I'll read it, and you read along and, and you follow with your eyes. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Quick word of prayer. Uh, God, uh, please... Uh, speak to us this morning and show us truly the breadth and width, the height and depth 
of the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Paul starts off this text with the phrase, for this reason. And so that tells us that he has said something before for which this current section is an explanation or an elaboration for this reason. So if we hop back to verse 1 that begins this particular chapter, Paul is talking about this great mystery which has been revealed through Paul and the apostles. The mystery is twofold. One is that all salvation is by grace and not by works. It is not what we do, but what Christ has done on our behalf. And that secondly, this grace is available to all without being Jewish. You do not have to become a Jew. You do not have to be circumcised in order to enter into the grace that is available to us through Christ. That's the mystery that Paul is talking about. And the focus is the love of Christ. So let's look at this phrase when he talks about us being rooted and established in love. It is something that refers to our status and condition out of uh, our relationship with Christ. Paul says that this status of being rooted and uh, being rooted and established comes out of God's glorious riches, his glorious riches. And in verse 16, it says that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And that word power is a is a special Greek word, dunamis, which refers to a spiritual power. It is it is not the power that comes from weightlifting or from distance running or building up the body. It is a power that comes not from Gatorade or those other mineral or miracle supplements that you can buy at Trader Joe's. This is a power that comes uniquely from God himself and from no other source. It cannot be obtained from anyone except God. And he gives us this power through his spirit. And that means that it is a God work, not a man work. It is not something that we do. It is something that God does for us, to us, and through us. It is through his spirit. And we are strengthened, it says, in our inner being. Not the body, but the inner us. And here's one of those sweet paradoxes in the Christian faith. And remember, a paradox is not a contradiction. A paradox is a truth that sometimes defies our human understanding. As, for example, you must die in order to live. You must give in order to receive. You must forgive in order to be forgiven. And here, we must be strong through being weak. And that's a paradox. Because the society teaches us that in order to be strong, we need to be aggressive. We need to be gruff. We need to confront. And the Bible says, well, we want you to be strong, but it is a strength that comes from realizing that one is powerless. It is a strength that says, I have no strength. 
Paul says this in uh, another uh, part of the New Testament, explaining to the Corinthians that I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. And he also says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Um, I know you, you take a look at me and you say, well, outwardly you don't seem to be wasting away. Uh, and in fact, I've tried to waste away, but without much success. Uh, but the fact is that my body is wasting away. It is, in fact, being broken down as I age. As much as I take those supplements and everything else, and my wife makes me drink this drink in the morning that is oatmeal, just raw oatmeal, not cooked oatmeal, with fruit in a blender and a little bit of xylol and some ice to make it palatable. And she says, drink it. Um, well, but the... <laughs> The inner man, though the outer man is wasting away, though my, my back hurts, uh, all the other physical ailments, my knees hurt, I got to take, what is that, glucosamine, chondritin, so that when I, when I jog, and it's not actually jogging, I describe it as the, the longest falling forward without actually striking your face against the ground. Most people, when they see me jog, they immediately want to run over to try to give me mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, and I... I say, I'm all right, I'll make it. Um, but the inner man is being built up through Christ. Uh, and, but there's a reason that God is giving this spiritual power through his spirit in our inner being. And it says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the reason for this spiritual power. And, and you might ask, well, why does it take spiritual power for Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith. Because without the spiritual power to perceive our true condition, that is that we are lost without Christ, that we cannot save ourselves, we will continually be in the effort of trying to save ourselves, trying to be good and do right in order to be pleasing to God. But the spiritual power that God gives us through his spirit in the inner man causes us to see that I am a sinner. That my sins have separated me from God. That there is nothing that I can do personally to bridge this gap that I've created. That Christ alone is the bridge builder. Only his perfect life is the solution for my sins. Our faith does not cause Christ to dwell in our hearts. Christ dwells in our hearts because he has chosen to do so. And he himself has given us the faith to understand it. So, and to believe that Christ has actually done what the Bible says he has done. Uh, biblical faith is not innate to us. Faith is innate to us as human beings. No human being can live without faith, which is making a commitment to something without fully knowing the results of that commitment. Uh, I, I've given the analogy before. Dana and I flew back from San Antonio, Texas to San Diego on 
Friday. And when I boarded the airplane, I was conscious of the fact that I did not know if the plane had the right amount of fuel or the right type of fuel. Now, I can rationalize that it must because, I mean, they put a lot of money in this plane and uh, the people who fuel it up care about their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know that. So I make a commitment to board that plane not knowing whether it has the right amount or the right type of fuel or whether we'll run into any problems while we fly. That's a commitment without knowing. So it is innate to the human condition to live by faith because we have imperfect knowledge. Our imperfect knowledge requires us to continuously, every day, make commitments without knowing. So, but what is not innate to us is faith in Christ. Uh, faith in our favorite sports team may be innate to us. Faith in our own physical strength or our intellectual ability, that may be innate to us. But faith in the living God is not innate to us. That is a gift that Christ himself gives. Well, our president has talked about the evil axis. Well, let me give you a different evil axis. It is Satan, it is the flesh, and it is the world. That's the true evil axis that we're up against. And there are three false arguments that it takes spiritual power, this dunamis, to resist. One false argument is that Christ saved me because he saw some spark of good in me. It may not have been bright enough for everybody else to see, but with God's supernatural vision, he could see that little spark in Bill McCurrent and said, I'm going to come along and blow on it and make it a flame. No, that's a, a false argument. I was a sinner. I was not seeking God. And Romans said there is no one righteous, not even one, not one who seeks God. Well, the second false argument is that Christ has done a lot for me. He is my he is my co-pilot. I, I ran that first 90 yards, but, but hallelujah, Christ picked me up and carried me the other 10 yards to a touchdown. No, the, the truth is that from the goal line, my legs had no power. I couldn't hold on to the ball. From beginning to end, Christ carried me across the goal line. He did the complete work. He has not done a lot for me. Christ has done everything. And the third false argument is that Christ has given me a lot. I mean, the house I own, the car I drive, that's the result of the fact that I went to college and I worked very hard and I saved my money and I was uh, diligent and, and practical and wise with my money. No, the answer is Christ has given me everything, everything. So, in this process of being rooted and grounded, there is this wonderful word of being rooted. And it means to cause to strike root. You know, you plant to plot, the plant to plant, so that the root will strike down into the earth. And wouldn't it be foolish when we do that? My, my wife likes to take plants and pot them. If the plant began bragging about how it planted itself. And 
Christ comes and he plants us and causes us to bear root. Now, I was reading that palm trees in Florida were able to withstand those fierce hurricanes that came because they had a taproot, though not broad, it went down deeply into the earth. A lot of other trees were knocked over, but not the palm trees because their root went down so deep. That's the sense of being rooted in Christ. But Paul says that he's praying not only that we recognize the status that we are rooted in Christ, but we are also established in Christ, which means grounded, uh, to have a foundation laid, to be made stable. And then I was reading about oak trees. Now, in Florida, some oak trees were knocked over in the hurricanes. Their root structure, instead of going straight down, spreads out broadly and extensively. So while they couldn't withstand some of the hurricanes, oak trees can go in a, grow in a far wider variety of climate, climates than palm trees because their root structure is so extensive and so broad. But Paul says that by our status in Christ, we are both rooted like palm trees and grounded or established like oak trees. So that when the hurricanes of life come, and they do come, don't they? They do come, don't they? That we have a taproot that Christ has created that goes down so deeply that we are not uprooted by the hurricanes of life. But you know that's not enough. We have to be able to exist in a variety of climates. This is part of the wondrous cross-cultural or transcultural nature of the gospel. Uh, I was this uh, past week with people from Madagascar, Malaysia, Shanghai, Uganda, Nigeria, Kenya. And it was marvelous to see that not, notwithstanding their different climates, environments, that Christ had grown in them. So Christ enables us not to just be able to withstand adversity, but to exist in a whole variety of adverse climates that we would otherwise not be able to survive in. It is Christ who runs our roots deeply and broadly. Well, Paul goes on to say, and this is the second point on your outline, I didn't leave any blanks in. I thought I'd just write out the whole title and you could just put it in notes. So in your outline, this is the love of Christ, item two on your outline. And here the key is our power or strength as Christians derives from Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to have the power and he says he wants us to grasp this power. But grasp what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And by grasp, it's the Greek word that means to comprehend, to lay hold of. And I'm reminded of a young man I knew who was riding in the backseat of his parents' car. And this is not a euphemism for Bill McCurran. It, I didn't do it, but this is the kind of thing I would do. He was eight years old. The rear door swung open. And this is before seatbelts were required law. 
and he, uh, the door swung open and he held on to the inside handle uh, as his body was being dragged out of the seat. And his mother saw what was happening and she slowly uh, decelerated so that he wouldn't be thrown out. Well, he laid hold of that door. And Paul says that likewise, we are to lay hold of the truth that we are deeply rooted and grounded in Christ's love. Well, we have a problem as men, and uh, that is our continuous tendency to drift away from God. I'm probably projecting my problems onto you. Forgive me if I've done so. I'm hoping that there are, are people here who are really just exploring this whole issue. Does God really exist? And is this love of Christ something real or is it just a fairy tale that Christians believe? So, But bear with me as I go through this. And also for you long-termers, you've been a Christian a long time and maybe here's a different way of looking at some of this. This drift away from God manifests itself in a variety of ways. And, and one way of drifting is to exalt rules and traditions above Christ. And so what becomes important to us is how we do it at our church or how we did it when we grew up in Chicago or New Orleans or wherever it is we grew up. And we begin to substitute those traditions for Christ himself. Well, another way of drifting is a, a particular problem that I have, and that's self-reliance instead of dependence on God. I, I don't know about you, but when I have a problem, my first thought is how I can fix it. And I start running through my mind the different alternatives for solving a problem. That's my default mode. Bill McCurin can get this fixed. Instead of turning to Christ and saying, what do I do in this situation? And the third problem for drifting is self-performance. Instead of relying on the finished work of Jesus Christ. If I can just have a, a, a little longer quiet time, instead of 10 minutes, if I could make it 20 minutes. In, in, instead of reading the Bible once a day, if I could read it in the morning as soon as I wake up, in the evening before I go to bed. And if I can give money to the church, but instead of X percent, I'm going to do X plus two or X times two. If I can do these things, if I can ratchet up my performance, God will be so pleased with me. Well, Paul wants us to have a love that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge. It is a knowledge beyond what you and I can conceive. It is a knowledge that comes from God himself and he reveals to us truths about ourselves and truths about himself. There are five unique aspects of God's love in Christianity. One is that God imputes man's sin to God. I don't know about you, but 
I think about that now and then, and it just, it's a wonder that my mind doesn't just, just come out through my ears and lay on the table. The second is that God dies in the place of his own creation. And the third is that God imputes righteousness to man. He gives it to us as a gift. Fourth is his grace. That we have these riches through Christ without earning them and never, ever being able to earn them. And lastly, that it is the performance of one man, not myself, that has not only assured my salvation, but keeps me in that salvation. Well, the last point on your outline is the fullness of Christ. Uh, God's love for Jesus was such that he withheld nothing from him. And being joint heirs with Christ, Christ's love for us is such that he withholds nothing from us. We are heirs with Christ. We have everything that Christ has through his gift to us by his performance in our place. It is not our love for which Christ establishes us. It is Christ's love for us which establishes us and keeps us rooted. So let me uh, say something to a group uh, this large. We understand that our love, or at least we need to understand, that our love will always be inadequate and impure. But the good news is that Christ's love, of which we are the beneficiaries, the heirs, will always be pure, perfectly, and perfectly adequate. When I was sitting in this chair this morning, agonizing with this uh, problem that I have created for myself, God brought to memory, today is the 20th, that it was on uh, just a year and a week ago that I had uh, my surgery and the removal of a uh, orange grapefruit-sized tumor from my right side. It was non-malignant. It's called a schwannoma. And on another night, about this time, again, I was up at 2.30 in the morning, unable to sleep because the pain in my side was so intense and unrelenting. And I sat in the same chair that I sat in this morning, wondering whether I would ever be relieved from this physical pain. And here I am a year later, and God had to bring to memory the pain that I had complained about so bitterly a year earlier. So in a, a group this large, there is uh, the likelihood that there is at least one person who is struggling with a pain, be it physical or more likely spiritual. You have been the victim of a sin, the victim. You have blamed yourself for it. You have um, said that it is something in you that made you become a victim. And the sin against you has caused you to look at yourself in a very negative light and you are constantly struggling with the fact of what was done to you. And it has got you in a grip 
of vice, and you have been unable to free yourself. But there is also uh, the person who has been the perpetrator of sin. You have done something to another person. And either you have not confessed it to your God, or you have confessed it, but it just keeps coming back up. And you never see yourself in any light other than as the person who committed this terrible thing. And it drives you to other things. It drives you to despair. It drives you to self-recrimination. It drives you to saying, I'm not worthy and I'll never be worthy. And you keep beating yourself up, slamming yourself in the face about what you did. This text says to such a person that your identity is not rooted in what was done to you in the past or what you did in the past. If you receive the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, your identity is rooted and grounded in him. You are a new person in Christ. And Christ is going to give you a root structure that goes down deeply and spreads out broadly and extensively so you no longer have to take the beating. Why? Christ has already taken that beating. All the recrimination that you brought on yourself has already been laid on Jesus Christ. What he wants us to do is take in return his freedom and his riches in himself. So I sat down on that chair this morning looking at the huge mistake that I have made and wondering how in the world am I ever, how in the world am I ever going to extricate myself from the problem? And in preaching this message to myself at 2.30 in the morning, I said, you know, Christ has already done the work. I don't know how things will turn out. I know that Christ dwells in me richly through his glory. And that he has given me this rich inheritance in himself that even I cannot take away. He has secured it by his death and by his life. And if you are struggling with that issue today. I just pray that you will go home after this message and accept Christ's finished work on your behalf. Give this problem to him and walk with him trusting every day that Christ will continue to work in you his own glory. Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, so grateful that you have caused us by your sovereign mercy and grace to be rooted and grounded in a perfect Savior who has accomplished for us what we could not possibly accomplish for ourselves no matter how much time we had.
you have made us heirs with Christ. Give us the power to lay hold on the status that we have through his work. Amen.